it just sometimes it just distracts from your story that you're trying to tell. I think one of the only games that I can think of that's recent that's combat based that's not a Souls game where the combat makes sense is fucking Ring Fit Adventure. <sighs> this was a take I was not prepared to hear. <laughs> Why not? Literally, it makes sense that your hot, sweaty dragon nemesis is dropping enemies everywhere and you gotta defeat them with squats. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm a rectangle with a bad attitude. <laughs> and this week, we ponder quadrilaterals and sentience with the 2010 puzzle platformer Thomas Was Alone. Before we surrender our third dimension to an existential quest, remember you can help us on Mortified the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for a monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter at MortifiedPod. Layla, this week we did a video game. Yeah, it's been a while. Been a while. What was the last game we did? Does Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts count? Abzu, uh, I think, was like the last one we played. We, well, we did um, fucking the Zelda one. That counts. I think that's the last one we actually played. Played. Oh, Age of Calamity. I was like, Breath mm-hmm. of the Wild was part of the Scorpio season special. <laughs> no, no, okay. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, um, Quite a bit of a difference, this one. This is a, not a Musou game at all. Um, do you want to talk about your experience? Like, how did you learn about Thomas Was Alone? Oh, I do not remember how I learned about it. So uh, I played it closer to when it actually came out, which I think I played it in 2011 or 2012. Um, I was paying a lot more attention to the, like, Humble Bundle as it existed back then. And I think I might have heard it through adjacent channels to the Humble Bundle. I'm not sure if it was ever formally part of one. Um, But I remember playing it and it was one of the first indie games I actually played because I think as I've mentioned on this podcast before or maybe I've written about before, but when I was a kid, like if you told me a corporation made something, I was like, then it's perfect and that's the only thing I'm going to consume and independent creators are garbage because it's, I don't know, it's just like how I was raised, you know? Obviously, (laughs) I don't think like that anymore, but... Uh, yeah, so it was, like, one of the first indies I played, and it, it really had an effect on me. Like, I, I still think about it quite quite frequently, so. Um, but you, you didn't love this. No, um, so we had this problem with Greece. We were going to talk about Greece a couple months back, um, and we ran into the, fo- the problem, which is that I fucking hate platformers. <laughs> um, and that's a personality flaw, I'll admit. Um, but I, so here's the thing. Uh, I think Thomas Was Alone is doing a lot of interesting narrative stuff, and I want to get to that narrative stuff. And the fact that there were jumping puzzles in the way made me just absolutely irate. Um, the same thing happened with Greece. I thought Greece was gorgeous, and I loved all the scenery um, and the watercolor art style. But the fact that I was like, okay, I know what I have to do. It's just a matter of timing. Um, that's that's where I start to to just get extremely upset and, and frustrated with with uh, platformer games, and then I disengage because um, that's just I don't know I'm 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 working on a lot of personal stuff. Um, I think I might write an essay in a couple months about how I just have to start playing mo- games on easy mode because I'm not playing games for challenges anymore. I'm just playing them for the experience, and I, I had. You know, puzzle games, you can't really do that unless you Google all the puzzles, and that's not really the point. So Thomas was alone. Like, I, I think the narrative was interesting, but it didn't really click for me. Um, and I'm wondering, because uh, you, you have a lot of experience with this game and apparently a lot of deep thoughts, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how you can you can talk me through this. So I don't know if I necessarily have, like, quote-unquote deep thoughts about this game, because I'm not going to lie to you. I watched um, the playthrough, and, you know, I just, I used to love the BBC a lot, and I used to watch a lot of, like, Doctor Who, and I used to really like Firefly before I found out Joss Whedon was, like, a tyrant creep. Um, And also, it's a little racist. Let's just put that out there. But uh, you and I had a conversation over DMs, a little bit before this recording, in which we kind of talked about how we don't have a lot to talk about Thomas Was Alone 
specifically. So I'd actually like to use Thomas Was Alone as a jumping off point for a kind of larger conversation about what works in games and what doesn't in terms of mechanics supplementing the story, right? So what worked about Thomas Was Alone at the time for me was as somebody who played a lot of kind of older JRPGs. And this was when I was first starting to discover uh, Supergiant Games, uh, who I'm just like an infinite fan of, and their method of storytelling. Thomas Was Alone did something new for me, which was involve the physical state of the world and the physical state of the characters to help tell the story. Because if you think about all the games we played as as kids, um, all the kind of popular franchises, a lot of them are go in, and the only thing stopping you from continuing the story is, what, combat, right? Mm-hmm. Thomas Was Alone doesn't have combat. It has puzzles. I like puzzle platformers. I also like video game combat um, in most situations. We, we'll delve into that a little bit, but... So what works about Thomas Was Alone specifically for me is that it really leaned on, uh, um, I don't want to call them peripheral, but uh, other methods of storytelling other than the narration to tell the story. So the music, the scenery, the puzzles themselves, right? The way the world responded to the characters, the way the characters responded to each other outside of our control. Um, And it just felt really new at the time. So that's what worked for me. I know you said you don't like platformers, so that's good to know for the future. But are there non-RPG or like non-third-person um, or first-person RPGs in other formats that have worked for you in the past? I, I play a lot of strategy games, so like those are those are kind of more my my bread and butter. But like, uh, as far as like narratives go, right? I, I think I'm a very basic gamer. When it comes down to it, like, th- there's a lot, like, most of the games I can think of on my, my PlayStation are uh, third-person or first-person, you know, games. Um, like, one of my, my favorite games ever is Horizon Zero Dawn, which is, you know, a very classic third-person open world. Um, and then, like, all the stuff that I've been playing on my computer um, has been, you know, just, like, strategy or grand strategy games. So, like, I really don't have a lot of experience with games in the way that Thomas was alone is right. Like we talk about, you know, over the summer, you, you talked with me about firewatch, which is a game that is, you know, a classic walking simulator, right? You basically just follow through the story and they, they guide you through it. And I I much prefer those games uh, because I'm lazy uh, and I just like to have a story delivered to me. It's why I listen to podcasts constantly without end. Um, And uh, that's that's why I don't I don't know like that Thomas was alone worked for me because I was I was interested in the story but the gameplay mechanics despite the fact that they were integrated into the story, uh, you know, impeded the progress in that and that's I think that's just a taste thing, right? I think that's also a challenge thing though. Um, as you mentioned, you know, in terms of there's no harm I think playing games on easy mode. I know there's a lot of people who would say otherwise but i don't agree i switch to easy mode all the time especially like i just played knights of the old republic 2 and i went on easy mode because 2004 video game combat is fucking insufferable and i wasn't gonna put myself through it so that is completely valid (laughs) so difficult so counterintuitive so wild just just you know there's no harm in going on easy mode or using console commands or whatever just do it whatever you need to do to get through the experience um, but at the same time, like, I love a Souls game, you know, I love a, I love a Bloodborne and I love a, a Dark Souls. I like to be frustrated sometimes. I like to be challenged. I don't mind grinding. Uh, one of the, one of the times I played Kingdom Hearts when I was a kid, right? Uh, uh when I was 12, probably. I'd already played through it once or twice and, uh, games, we were not living in a content saturation market like we are now. So, you know, I was much more likely to replay things, but I remember there was one day where I was like, "Mm, what would happen if I just uh, grinded for a while before continuing on the quest? I made it to level 16 before I ever left the Island. I just, on Destiny Island? Destiny Island. I made it to level 16. Did you just fight Riku a thousand times? Shadows. Oh, shit. I just went through mobs of shadows like it was, like it was raining them, you know? 
That sequence is not supposed to be more than five minutes. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, so I just ground through it for a couple hours. It just kept making making cycles. So, you know, like, I... I just imagined it going he was standing on that little spot on the island with his hand out like, any day now, Sora. Oh, yep. still, still going. Well, I'll wait. The, the door, <laughs> That's why the he's so is ripped open. is because he's, he's switching hands and just holding them there. He's just like oh doing light God. little uh, uh, tricep lifts while he was... <laughs> Fucking just... doing coconut curls, just waiting for his boyfriend <laughs> to stop grinding. Just some Pilates pulses. Uh, with Christ. the charm, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so I, I enjoy being challenged, but I know that's not everyone's, uh, I was going to say cup of soup, cup of tea. <laughs> it's not everyone's things. Um, but again, like, I like being frustrated, and I, I really like, I like getting getting close to that throw the controller against the wall feeling, but not quite hitting it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a bit of a, bit of a masochist. <laughs> I'm a bit of a ma- there's a lot of just peripheral noise happening today and I hate it. I'm a bit it's of a fine. masochist in that respect. Um but that being said, um I know you wanted to talk about some uh story specific stuff namely just like the concept of AI in gaming. So uh, what are your feelings about that? Um you know like I think it's interesting to have a story that's about the emergence of intelligence within a computer system. Like, I mean, it's a sci-fi trope that like, oh yeah, the computer is actually evil or like, you know, in Ex Machina, it's like, oh, is this robot real or are they like, you know, just, just pretending or, you know, what's going on behind those eyes. Um, And like this, this story sort of plays with those tropes, but it's much on a much lighter scale. It's basically just like, okay, Hey, you know, what, what, these AI, I mean, which are portrayed, or not even AI necessarily, but like bits of code that have started to develop sentience, but not necessarily sapience, um, have, uh, you know, are just like bouncing around. They're literally like quadrilaterals, squares that, that have little different abilities. And, you know, I think it's interesting to, to play in those spaces. And I really like the the hopeful edge that this story takes, which is just like, you know, if if, you know, a computer AI did evolve, the first thing it would do is make sure that the rest of it, you know, other people, it would, it would be willing to sacrifice its own sapience or sentience, you know, I get those confused, um, to, to help others like it and, and develop their own intelligences. And, you know, spoilers for Thomas Was Alone, but at the end of the game, you know, the sacrifices of Thomas and his friends help other AIs evolve and get onto the internet and, and become, you know, potentially, you know, people. Uh, in, in the sense that not humans, but like, you know, people that have personalities and thoughts and, and emotions, etc. Um, which I think is interesting. So just to clarify, you thought that uh, the protagonists we played through 80% of the game with sacrificing themselves uh, was hopeful. You thought that was not a complete bummer? That was hopeful for you? Uh Yes. <laughs> because I cried when I first played this game, cried through the entire end of the game. Uh, after those little guys sacrificed themselves. That was very sad for me. Um, but again, this is coming from the woman who was a, a single possum crossing squad um, on a whim. So, you know, different experiences, different strengths for different folks. Um, I do like, uh, so just to expound on kind of that narrative shift, though, um, I think one of my favorite moments of the mechanics changing was right after the sacrifice, because... Um, so, uh, as you said, they're sentient squares, quadrilaterals. Um, they're all kind of a different shape. They're all a different color, uh, and they all have different kind of, uh, specialties. They also all have different personalities. So Claire, for example, is extremely aggro. Um, Chris is a lover. Um, there's Thomas, who's kind of the most existential of them all. And, uh, Laura's like very chill. They all have very like generic names and just like one or two key personality traits to keep them going. But so once they all sacrifice themselves. And so I think the, the creation matrix is what it's called instead of each of them now having a a different color and a different, uh, I don't want to call it power, a different like specialty, um, and like piece of the problem solving puzzle, all of a sudden, we're playing as these gray quadrilaterals who, when they pass through a colored mesh, get a piece of that power and can can escape. But they still have to use a certain amount of teamwork to do so. Um, and I guess the reason I found that effective was because it really sets um, 
it makes the Thomas and company part of the narrative really unique. And it, it quite literally mechanizes the story shift from one world state to to another. Um, I know neither of us actually sat down and had the time to like play through this and all. Well, you tried. You tried well, your best. I you got tried. through uh, up until like I want to say stage six and a half, and oh, the you phone got far. control. I got all. I, yeah, I got right before the sacrifice, but. Um, yeah, the phone controls were not especially responsive. I think I might have made it a little farther farther if I was playing it on like Steam or something. But, um, but you know, I, I did give it an honest shot in my defense. You did. You did give it. You gave it a fair shake, and I applaud you for that. Um, I had played it previously, and I'm currently packing my whole shit. So I watched the playthrough while I was uh, cleaning. But um, as I said, I played it before. Yeah. So um, I really like the way these mechanics got uh, uh, shifted over um, to, to kind of delineate the two parts of the story. And I think that's what a lot of like modern RPGs are missing for me a lot of the times, right? So you talked about playing uh, 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 strategy games. I know you're a civilization boy, a Civ Six lad. Um, <laughs> is there anything in there mechanically that shifts to like, or any strategy game you, because you've played or, or non-RPG, is there anything mechanically that shifts to kind of separate story like that? I mean, I, I think the the only example of like mechanics really affecting story, the, the most you know prominent example is is in tabletop role-playing games, which um, you know is not exactly analogous to video games, but that that's a space in which you know the game mechanics of rolling dice um, are, are much more influential on your story, right? Because like. At a certain point, it's just random whether or not you you win or lose, and it's how you spin that. Um, and some and games like um, Dungeons and Dragons, where it's just like, oh, okay, you know, that's just a straight up fail in your attempt, like, and you have to work through that. That that's interesting um, enough. But then there's games like Powered by the Apocalypse, where it's a you know two d six, and anything that's a six or below is as a complete fail. Seven to nine is like a mixed success, and ten or above is a total success. And those are also interesting ways where you can be like, okay, I'm expected to fail half of the time. You know, how does that play out, and and how do I spin stories around a much more uh, consistent or a failure that's not not always so complete, like we're, where um, you know we have to shape the story around the fact that the majority of the time things are not going to go our way. Um, that's really the only mechanical thing I can think of at the moment. Um, but I do think it's it's interesting the ways in which we have our our mechanics influencing story and try to, um, you know, shape shape the experience, the narrative that we tell using those. And, and mechanics are of course a very powerful tool when we're doing storytelling, but, you know, in, in video games, uh, unfortunately, in, in a lot of mainstream games, the, the kinds of games that I play, story is often tacked on or added as an afterthought or, you know, under, under supported, right? I, I wrote an essay about how Far Cry, the series could be pretty good if they, you know, just put 20% more budget into their writing. Um, but like they just don't. And so it's just like a free for all and your character just ends up getting in the dumbest possible situations for no reason. So, yeah, you know, no, I think that's a really good transition actually, because, uh, you know, bringing up tabletop games, there's a difference, a key difference between tabletop games and video games um, namely the video portion of it, right? So uh, tabletop games and video games share a lot of commonalities. Um, not necessar- necessarily the like flexibility in story, right? Like tabletop, you can kind of go off the rails and it's fine. Like you can find a way for the mechanics to support it. There's a little bit more improv involved, a little bit more role-playing. Uh, video games are, uh, especially depending on the arrow that you play from, are a little bit more guided. But I think the other thing about Thomas Was Alone that uh, really interested me is that I had feelings about squares. Um, They're just squares. It's not the most visually compelling thing to look at screenshots of, right? So, like, if you look at screenshots of Hades, they're beautiful. Uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey literally has, like, a photo mode, and it's stunning, like, beautiful Grecian vistas under the sun, the blue sparkling ocean, like, beautiful, gorgeous, with an eagle on your shoulder. It's beautiful. Um, but Thomas was alone has a very limited color palette and it's about squares it's rectangles. Sorry. Not all rectangles are squares, but all squares are rectangles. Learn that in second grade. Um, but yeah, so it's just, 
there's a lot of talk, as as you've mentioned before, and, and you and I have had conversations about, about fidelity in video games, because part of, a, a big part of writers not necessarily getting the biggest budget is uh, uh, the way executives, especially in AAA games, prioritize budget, and a lot of it goes to fidelity. Um, you know, like, everybody, when when The Last of Us 2 dropped, everyone was like, oh, it looks so real, and the, the mocap footage was coming out. Of court. Stunning game. Beautiful. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, those artists did a hell of a job. But is that necessary? Um, and, I mean, for me, the answer is is no, uh, I don't think it is. Cause uh, uh, even 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 if Thomas was alone specifically, like I've kind of I would say I don't want to say outgrown, but I, I'm not the person who was affected by it in 2010 is not the person I am today. So it's, it's a little I had a different reaction to it. Still good, but I don't think I would have bawled quite as hard. Uh, maybe just one singular manly respectful morning tear for Thomas and company. Um, instead of the full waterworks display I had uh, uh, summoned at the time. Um, well, I think an interesting thing about Thomas Was Alone was that it came out in 2010, and the game space was very, very different now than it was in 2010. Uh, for my other podcast, uh, I just also watched a 2010 game, uh, Dante's Inferno. Um, oh my god, was and- that 2010? Mm-hmm, oh, yeah. Goodness. A God of War-like that uh, is just just miserable um and you'll you know i I assume the people that listen to this podcast also listen to that podcast so uh you'll hear me talk about that but like games in 2010 were not exactly intellectual at least in the in the long term right you know the 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 most mainstream games you know call of duty was still a hugely influential game right we get our gears of war you know dudes killing aliens with chainsaws right 2010 is really when we start getting into that our games art space right um, we get a lot more accessibility with indie creators. We get a lot more, you know, people de-emphasizing combat. Uh, Marty wrote a great essay about, you know, de-emphasizing combat that I think uh, you should all read, and we'll link to their their blog in the description. Um, they bring up the point that, like, you know, combat is something in games that's often, you know, an obstacle, just like a puzzle is. Um, but like, it's 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 so much more glorified and unskippable and you know kind of boring but like that's what it was like to play video games in 2010 um and and only in in this you know past 10 years have we started to move on and and be like games can be more than just mass media you know for you know the big the widest possible audience um and we can start you know using using mechanics in games and just ideas to tell interesting stories without having you know combat and, and trying to make writing not necessarily the, the main focus of the game, but certainly an important aspect of it, right? There's, I'm sure you all have played games where you've been like, I, this person doesn't make any sense to me. I don't give a shit about them. But whereas Thomas was alone's characters are, you know, squares with, dis- or not squares, like you said, quadrilaterals with distinct personalities. And you, you can tell what their motivations are. And that ability to make you care about characters with very limited, uh, you know, dialogue and text and features to, to describe them, right? That's that's interesting, and I think that's that's what makes Thomas was alone an important historical artifact in gaming, is that <laughs> I mean, <laughs> listen, ten years is a long time in video games. <laughs> it, it, I'm not disagreeing. I think, um, I think you're right, and and I, I am glad to have played it for that. But I'm just I'm just thinking about you know the other games that came out alongside it were you know so wild in 2010 like we didn't i don't even know if we the the quote walking simulator had been coined yet oh god like that, 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 that yeah like that's how far in the past god god we're getting old huh <laughs> we can talk yeah. about the history of video games with semi-confidence yeah bud we were there for it yeah i think i think the thing i want to connect to that you just mentioned was that they don't just have distinct personalities they don't ever speak the quadrilaterals don't speak, they're narrated about, and yet still you get their personalities because they're simple. The world is simple. It's it's not a lot to retain. It's a two-hour gaming experience, but you still get the story. You still get their personalities. You get the point. It's all narrated to you, and the puzzle is just kind of there to enhance the experience and, and to demand teamwork of you, right? So Journey... Uh, came out around the same time. Very similar concept, though. Uh, argue 
probably, depending on what experience you're looking for, executed it a little bit more effectively because you play through it and then like a stranger pops in to help you. And that's just nice. It's a nice teamwork is nice sometimes, you know? Um, and, uh, 2010, uh, I, I, I guess Dante's fucking Inferno came out. Uh, but 2011 gave us Skyrim, right? And what do you do in Skyrim? Run around and smash. So, and I expect, you know, I mean, that's what happened in Fallout 4 and Fallout 76. And I expect Elder Scrolls 6 also. I don't expect those main, ma- you know, mass market games to have a whole lot of iteration besides like you can shoot a fireball and you can also do a, a sneak and stab and you can also, you know, level sneak up. Sneak and shoot. Your... Don't yeah. forget the sneak <laughs> I mean, and shoot. You can get a bow, you can get a crossbow or, and like, of course there'll be, you know, very complex, important dialogue trees that will end with, is your, you know, charisma stat 100? Okay. Then you win. Um, and that's, you know, we should yeah. probably make that sort of thing more interesting. <laughs> Well, Dragon Age, so the original Dragon Age came out in, I believe, 09, and, like, you can uh, coast through that motherfucking game if you uh, uh, up your persuasion stat in the very beginning, like I do. Um, And then same thing with Dragon Age uh, uh, 2, though, to to a smaller effect. The thing about Dragon Age 2, that's just just doesn't really make a whole ton of sense is uh every so the the game is broken up into three acts and in every act there are three gangs one in each segment of the city that you go to that you have to fight three waves of three times and then you get to the leader of the gang and you can kill them and it just one where are all these people coming from where that's a lot they're big waves it's like 50 gangsters per wave and you have to do it nine times per act where are y'all coming from are we not actually killing them that's a lot of bodies to clean up in the morning like just just saying two it doesn't really make sense that that's the storyline considering hawk the protagonist ran with a gang in the beginning so like why why is suddenly killing gangsters like a you know, they don't ever have, like, a clear motive for attacking you other than you're there and kind of have some notoriety. Um, but it's also repetitive and annoying. And um, I think Dragon Age Inquisition tried to get away from, th- well, try to get away from the whole franchise. It's not, it's a different game. But there are portions of Dragon Age Inquisition where they try to kind of use mechanics to emphasize the story. Um, so there's one sequence uh, where... Your protagonist is, like, stranded, and to make it home, you have no controls other than to walk forward. Uh, Hades does a similar thing. When you first meet Persephone, you have no control other than to walk forward through Greece. Um, and you're, you're kind of tired, and, you know, it, it, it just kind of helps pace the narrative and, and helps um, connect you to the emotional state of the character and the physical state of the character. And I think that stuff is so interesting, but when your game is solely based on combat and encounters... It just sometimes it just distracts from your story that you're trying to tell. I think one of the only games that I can think of that's recent that's combat based that's not a Souls game where the combat makes sense is fucking Ring Fit Adventure. <sighs> this was a take I was not prepared to hear. <laughs> Why not? Literally, it makes sense that your hot, sweaty dragon nemesis is dropping enemies everywhere and you gotta defeat them with squats, right? So that is a a combat that helps the story and also serves the purpose of making you do squats. Um, But like, if you transpose that story format into just like a regular sit-down controller game, it's the same old formula, right? But adding that physical interaction changes the way you interact with the story. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where... It feels like, especially bigger, because again, Thomas was alone, indie game, single developer, I think, or very small team. Uh, there's a lot more chance to experiment. Seems like Supergiant has a very small team. Uh, well, they did before Hades. Uh, and then you have these like giant studios that are tripping over themselves to include combat. And oftentimes the combat is kind of redundant and repetitive and, and there's nothing really that interesting about it. Um I haven't really been interested in video game combat in a really long time, uh, other than in Dark Souls and Bloodborne, but that's a very curated experience. So, you know, how do you feel about video game combat, I guess? Do you enjoy it, generally speaking? 
it depends, right? Because uh, on the one hand, uh, I sold my Demon Souls copy two weeks ago because I was like, I can't oh, fucking do this. Uh, <laughs> I literally put in the listing, I can't get good, so I'm selling this. Um, and on the other hand, I'm currently replaying Kingdom Hearts 2. So, like, uh, I, you know, which is a game that is entirely combat, except for the very narrative-heavy lore shit in the between, which is delivered through cutscenes. So, like, I'm in a very strange space because, like, I think that on one hand, combat is... It is in games because it has always been in games, right? I mean... Has it, though? I mean, that's a good point, right? Pong, Mario... um, you know, Tetris, those aren't combat games, right? I, I guess just from, from my own personal lens, it feels like combat has always been in games, right? Once we start getting the first-person shooter, I mean, I think the first, like, real game I ever played was Pokemon, which is, uh, you know, a turn-based combat simulator. And, and it is it is frustrating to me that I I have this mindset, which, is, which has been given to me by the games that I consume, the media I consume, right? This is all tied up in the ways that America is, you know, indoctrinates its youth to love the military industrial complex, right? I, you know, I hate imperialism and I think tanks are fucking rad. So, like, you know, there's that's an entire separate conversation. But, like, this is especially important to me when it comes down to tabletop RPGs because I'm, I've been really getting into that in the past couple of years. And, you know, Austin Walker uh, did an interview a couple months ago where he talked about the fact that. Dungeons and Dragons is a game about killing people fundamentally, um, right? The the mechanics are largely based around the fact that you want to roll dice, and you know those dice. A lot, most of the spells are either mind control or murder, and, and like you really have to invest uh, in in some of the other mechanics besides the fact that you just have a number next to like your convince someone roll uh, or your animal handling check, and like most of the fun in D and D specifically, even in Five E, which is much more narrative heavy. It comes from role-playing. It comes from the non-combat stuff. Like, I was just talking to one of my players last night, and we talked about the fact that combat is largely the least fun part of Dungeons & Dragons for us because, like, you know, it's just, like, sitting there and rolling dice. And, like, it can be great, but more than one hour of it is just tedium. And that can... Tr- I mean, that's just the fact that, like, you know, it it's based in wargaming. That's where its roots are. Similarly... A lot of the video games that I play and a lot of the mainstream games are come out of this, you know, it's fun to do combat and, you know, play out this power fantasy. And I don't know, right? I, I really want to start experimenting with gameplay styles that, that de-emphasize combat, not because I don't think that combat should exist in video games. I, I you know, I play the fucking Total War series. I love pretending to be a little armchair general, but like... I, we do have to expand our imaginations and, and try to make combat something that is, you know, not the most important thing. And again, please read Marty's essay, The De-Emphasis of the Character, um, because they make the point that violence should not be the only storytelling device. And, you know, video games are, you know, at, at their root, unless, you know, they're very, very simple, like Pong or Tetris, the vast majority of video games are used to convey story and Thomas Was Alone is a great example of how you don't need combat to do that. Yeah, well, so something you hit on, I think that's that's interesting and, and very specific, is that D&D combat specifically is incredibly tedious. And a lot of video games are based on the D&D model. The reason D&D combat is so tedious is because it is the most mechanics-heavy portion of the fucking game, right? Because you're not just rolling dice, you're rolling dice according to your stats, your party, the buffs you have, whether or not you have magic, what kind of magic you have, where it comes from, how you've prepared, what kind of weapon you have, what kind of weapon you're using at the moment. There's just so much to know. It is so overwhelming. And a lot of early, especially 2010s era video games, Mass Effect, Skyrim, uh, I'm sure Dante's Inferno, though I never played it. Um, Xena Saga, even though that was, that was pre-2010. Kingdom Hearts, a little bit less so. Incredibly, just stupidly stats and mechanics heavy gameplay experiences that are alienating to players who want the story, right? Which is, even when you play on easy mode, that doesn't mean that the, the stats go away, you know what I mean? So The Witch, I could not get through Witcher 3. I couldn't do it because... It is so 
dense. You have potions, you have tinctures, you have your weapons, the weapons expire and break. There's like witcher path. You just, I couldn't keep up. It's the worst. (laughs) It's so, and then you play, you know, Breath of the Wild. And because of the way those same mechanics, Breath of the Wild and Witcher have a lot of mechanical overlap because of the way they were integrated and because of the pace at which they were integrated and because of how necessary every single mechanic is. It's a more fun, more uh, uh, cohesive experience, right? So that's the thing about video game combat that I find so frustrating all the time. It's not necessary. And oftentimes way too complicated. And I know I ragged on Dragon Age 2 a second ago, but the one thing I'll praise it sort of halfway for is that um, your party members have certain abilities that are unlocked depending on how they feel about you. Uh, If you have a rivalry, they'll unlock one ability. If you have a, a friendship, you'll unlock another. I don't personally like scaled, like, relationship mechanics in my RPGs. I think they're I, like in, in Origins, you can just like gift people things until they like you, which is fine in Stardew Valley, but less so when you're like fighting a war with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it, it, it reduces the, the relationships in a, in a, like a weird way. Uh, but, you know, that being said, having abilities unlocked depending on how they're treated by the character, also very interesting. Like I said, I just played Knights of the Old Republic 2, um, which is the reason I will not be playing 1, because if 2's combat was insufferable, I can't put myself through 1. I won't do it. <laughs> I watched the Listen, I've watched the videos. I'm done. I'm good. I got the story. I understand what happened. It's all, you need. It's all, it's all you need. I need. But the interesting thing was, is that if you don't engage with the characters, sometimes they just don't have certain abilities or they don't have certain opportunities. So like, if you don't talk to Atten, he doesn't become a Jedi. You know what I mean? Like he won't engage with the fact that he's force sensitive. And that's just like a thing you'll miss out on, which I think is interesting. Right. And aside from the fact that combat was just grinding in that game and, and it runs into that problem of, uh, which so many, every game does, where your companions are constantly underleveled um, to your player character. And sometimes you have to play as your companions and then you just die over and over again because it doesn't prompt you to ever make items. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that's like interesting and cool is, is, is having these immersive experiences because what is a video game other than an interactive narrative? You know, well, RPGs anyway, you can have puzzle games that are just raw um, puzzle and you don't really need to, you know, interact with a narrative of any sort, but narrative video games specifically, that's the interest of it. And um, another thing I want to expound on that you mentioned was just a lack of imagination. Um, Because there's not only a lack of imagination in mechanics, there's a lack of imagination in just like narrative right now. Um, Noah Caldwell Caldwell Gervais had a really good review of Cyberpunk 2077 that was just like, just pushing aside the popular narrative about it of the, the labor conditions, the transphobia in it, you know. His biggest criticism of it was that it just lacks imagination, um, mechanically and story-wise. It just doesn't, it doesn't dare to guess, I think is the way he phrased it, which I thought was very interesting. And um, a lot of RPGs, in terms of mechanics, I feel like are just suffering from like not wanting to guess elements of their settings in a way that would influence the mechanics. Um so, like, let's say you and I had a game studio. You know, we love, we're Disney execs. This is just a thing we have now added to our fucking empire. Mortified um, Interactive, yeah. Yeah, Mortified <laughs> yeah, Mortified Interactive. Forget that we have Quest in our podcast name. Which <laughs> um, is Mortified Interactive. Um, but let's say we were trying to turn... Oh, what have we watched recently? Um... I was going to say Sonic and no video game. It's already a video game. I like just have <laughs> We're going to try to make Sonic the Hedgehog the movie into a video game. A novel concept. <laughs> I Listen, I'm not a perfect man. Sometimes my memory is bad. Um, let's say we were trying to turn a high school musical into an RPG, right? Like we have, we have a... <laughs> back here get back in the frame get back in the frame don't fucking leave me don't, don't, you're not allowed God. get back in the frame 
That's right. Okay. That's right. Here. <laughs> You're here. I've been so hit let's with say... so many sentences today. <laughs> oh, listen. Uh, I found out today there was a um, a, a magical girl anime where uh, the characters are famous racehorses, but they're reframed as like young girl pop idols. So <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I got hit with some words today too. <sighs> But if we were trying to turn, say, like, High School Musical into a video game, what the fuck is the combat, right? It would have to be basketball games. It's Pyre, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Pyre fantasy basketball. But, like, would it? Because is the conflict about basketball? No, the te- main central tension to High School Musical is, you know, social cues and where we fit in our various, you know, political hierarchies. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Comrade Bolton. Uh, Read my manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, but in that case, you would want mechanics that support that. So you would want to focus on um, relationship mechanics, and you would want to focus on, you know, if you wanted to have basketball as a mini game, a la Final Fantasy X, X, where X, you can play uh, uh, Blitzball. Yeah, Blitzball. Fuck yeah. Um, you could have like a blitzball mini, a blitzball, a basketball mini. I have so many words coming out of my mouth at such a pace. They're all getting jumbled. Um, but, you know, in terms of like mechanics, you have to incorporate uh, things that actually surround the conflict. So uh, uh, if you have relationship mechanics, then there could be uh, dialogue trees or uh, some sort of like social ranking algorithm uh, uh, your final kind of test of all your relationships at the end could be not just the, uh, uh, oh my god, callback is what they're called. Could be not just the callback, but you could have like a yearbook mechanic, right? Just to see where your relationships are at and like use that as a tester, right? And that would involve consulting maybe kids in high school to find out what their lives are like and uh, working with that knowledge instead of just guessing. But you know. In a high school musical video game, it would make sense to necessarily have, well, you could have dance-offs. That would be kind of fun. Yeah, dance-offs and, and sing-offs, but that gets dangerously close to the just, um, you know, quick time event problem. So, like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, QTEs are a whole a whole other um, can of worms, as it were. But, you know, that's, that's just kind of what I'm trying to get at, is, like, combat's not necessarily a the end-all be-all in a narrative-driven video game. And even if you had a... um, You could even imagine a Game of Thrones video game that had no combat. You could. You could, because you're a wise and cool individual. But anyone who likes Game of Thrones, I don't think, is exactly on that same page. (laughs) Hey, listen now. It's all uh, cool sword fights um, until you think about maybe a Game of Thrones game oriented about the politics. And you can include combat, but not playable combat. You could include it in cutscenes. Game of Thrones by way of Crusader Kings, yeah. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be... Because uh, I think, you know, we've referenced uh, Marty and Marty Hardforge.tumblr.com. Um, we've linked it, but just to connect, this is a person we've referenced. It's a dear friend of mine who makes video games. Please go play them. Um, to reference Marty's essay further, there's, there's just like interesting gameplay things you could do that have nothing to do with combat. And I think they specifically talk about lockpicking. And I know I've brought up Knights of the Old Republic 2 like four times, but it's the most recent game I've played. I don't have time to play a lot of video games. So it's just in my brain. I'm very sorry. But the thing that I really liked about it uh, right away, other than the combat being fucking nightmarish, uh, was that my character didn't need to learn lockpicking to have a successful gameplay time. My character, who is just a kind of a hermit weirdo, could bash her way through locks. And I think that's a very important, um, a very important role playing element because as we've talked about, when you have a combat-heavy game where your protagonist is the strongest and bestest statistic combat, that's what the narrative has to emphasize is that your character is the bestest statistic combat, but there's, like, these fake allusions to, I don't know, your character maybe being smart or something sometimes, you know, they'll be like, oh, this person's the best, but you never get to demonstrate that mechanically. So, in my uh, trademarked Game of Thrones spinoff, without combat, there could be mechanics that have more to do with, I don't know, being a spy. You could play as someone like Shay, you know, and, and have mechanics that are more more targeted towards spying and staying out 
of combat because maybe you're not a good fucking fighter, you know? Maybe not all problems are solved with pointy things. So, um, yeah, you know, that's, that's just my, my, my kind of combat rant because it, 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 the Souls games are just combat, but you go and beat up bosses, you know? It does end up bothering me in the end when, when you're just mowing through mobs of people in Dragon Age 2. You're like, these are lives. Yeah, you feel like at a certain point, those murders should all kind of affect your character, like, upstairs, in but a way. only the important murders affect your character, right? Mm-hmm, because a exactly. lot of the times in those games, you have choices to make important murders. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that affect your morality. Uh, but the regular mowing down of hundreds of people, else, whatever. Every other goblin you shank is just completely, you know... It's like kicking a daddy lion. It's nothing to you. Every dragon you kill is just like whatever. Forget that they're like borderline extinct. Yeah, you know you don't have, you don't have to grapple with the morality of sharing a planet with a creature that's dangerous to humanity, because your only thing is to conquer, and you never really face down the uh, moral quandary of of conquering and being at the quote unquote top of the food chain. Which I mean, hey, well, we were talking about imperialism before, baby. Back at it! Except this time, talking about encroaching on nature's spaces. Because have you ever thought that Florida isn't uh, uh, infiltrated by alligators, but you're in fucking alligators' backyard? The last note you have um, is just talking about feelings in games. Um, and I just, do you have anything to, to discuss as far as, you know, the last game you played that made you feel something? I mean, yeah, it was Knights of the Old Republic, right? And I mean, like, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Like, Star Wars, I, I didn't like, grow up with it, so I don't have, like, nostalgia for it. I just have this, like, fresh experience, and it just wove a narrative in a way that made me feel something. And there were moments where, you know, getting your lightsaber felt cool and significant, because guess what one of the quests was? Getting all the shit to build it. It was just nice. Kind of like in Kingdom Hearts, you have a whole sequence about getting your keyblade. It's cool and it's a big difference from using that fucking wooden sword mechanically it shifts the narrative um but yeah so those i, I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm easy to make feel stuff i feel things <laughs> a lot but unfortunately most of the time the things i feel is rage at yeah things and stuff i think we're all kind of in that headspace as of late yeah yeah jesus uh, what about you like because I, I know well, that's the thing that I, this is the thing I'm trying to puzzle out about you, right? In here on Mortified the Friendship Quest, a quest about friendship and getting to know each other better. Um, for a person who you, you've said two kind of con- not contradictory, but two like cognitively discordant things. But you know, uh, on one hand, you t- you play lost strategies, which are, to me are infuriating. I can't fucking do them. Uh, but on the other, it's talked about uh, wanting the story of an interactive narrative on easy mode so like what compels you about specifically interactive narratives to even want to play through them versus just like watching a movie i mean that's that's a good question right like what is the difference between you know playing a 100 hour jrpg versus just watching the cutscene video um and i think it, it goes back to the thing you said about you know building a lightsaber or unlocking the keyblade it's it's a matter of personal investment right it's a different from when you just like watch, you know, two minutes of cutscenes, and then you're like, okay, yeah, and now I have the lightsaber. Whereas, you know, if you actually have to go through the time investment to, you know, get the kyber crystal and then, you know, construct the handle and customize the thing, you feel personally invested. Um, similarly, like in, in Thomas Was Alone, right? I think I, you know, after I stopped playing and just went to the the cutscene video, I was a little bit less invested, although I was, you know, screaming at the person playing it because they, they had figured out the puzzle. They just weren't executing on it, and it made me want to put my whole put a hole through my <laughs> yeah. laptop. Yeah. Right? That's what makes video games different than just watching movies, right? Is because when you actually do it, you are building an investment, you know, you're putting time into it. That's why you know, if you've ever had a video game file get deleted, you're like, oh, fuck, that was so many hours of my life, like, and that I cared about. And I don't know if that's just, you know, um, the sunk cost fallacy or, you know, the fact that video games are, in, in some ways, you know, art that is ever evolving, right? Um, 
you know, maybe that's kind of a pretentious way to frame it. But like, as far as, you know, me personally, the, I I think it comes down to the the reason that I like both strategy games and narrative heavy games is the same reason, which is that it's a power fantasy, um, right? I like the fantasy of feeling like a cool general that's like, you know, outwitting all my enemies because I'm that fucking dude, unfortunately, uh, pushes glasses up nose. Um, But also, right, I love the fantasy of going on an adventure with my friends and not having to worry about, you know, the ramifications of, you know, rent or taxes i just have to you know defeat the the unambiguous big bad and make connections along the way i mean that's why i feel like kingdom hearts was so fundamental to me as as a child right is because like great i have friends that i can identify you know they're going on adventures and and it's all about connection right and you know those are the (laughs) those are the kind of games that that resonate with me are, are games that make me feel you know both narratively satisfied and also, you know, personally satisfied, um, which I will have to talk to my therapist about <laughs> next week, I think. Oh, go. Busy session uh, <laughs> next week. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that's all like super valid, right? Because I love puzzle games, but I also love uh, uh, like really narrative heavy RPGs. And I also really like grinders. I, I like to grind. I think I, I think it's fun in its own way. I have to pace myself with grinders, but they're they're a great time. But I think um a lot of the cuz again, like you like I said when I initially answered your question, well, the point we were trying to make that a lot of the times what I feel about video game narratives is just kind of vaguely frustrated or disappointed. Um which being frustrated or disappointed by a narrative hurts so much more than being frustrated or disappointed by like losing progress on a grinder, you know? Because if I take a week away from that grinder, it's the same fucking grind and go back and do it again. No fucking problem. But the frustration I feel a lot of the time is just with that kind of lack of imagination. The um, To come full circle, because I'm a, a communications professional, but to go back to the kind of beginnings of the AI conversation we had earlier in the episode, the thing I forgot to bring up that I meant to was, um, so for, for, for example, there's just a lack of imagination of what AI could be, um, right? Especially so uh, Mass Effect is like a really famous example of this. And I, I promised myself a very quick ED rant but uh, Here we go. The, I promise it's tame. Um, I've, I've, I've gassed out on this rant quite, quite a lot, but there's just a lack of imagination, especially in, in space odysseys where like, yes, Star Wars, you have the light side of the forest and dark side of the forest. And there's like a very easy, big bad. And that's why that universe is so easy to play around in because it's like adjacent to what we know, but it's not what we know. And, and you can kind of, just do a very basic level of imagining and still tell a story within that world. When you strike out on your own in a fantasy or in a uh, sci-fi, there's just like an imagination requirement that I feel so many people are not meeting right now because writing rooms are just kind of understaffed and underpaid or staffed with the same voices every time. Um, So in Mass Effect, you have a ship AI called Edie. Um, She's feminine because she's got a lady voice like siri uh because you know ai there's like a whole study done on feminine ai it's a tragic read um but she is your ship ai and she has a relationship uh like a, a friendly rivalry with your pilot joker uh and in the third game Edie gets a body uh and the body because her and Joker are now kind of like romantically entwined. She's got titties. You give her you give her the body of like a hot, sexy female android. Mm-hmm. Um so this is where I start to get frustrated with narrative because one, yes, you gain a party member, neat. Two, Edie's like a decent fighter and her armor is different. Cool. However, there is nothing just Edie can do. So, right, there's no bonus for taking her on the right mission, right? Like to sit there and to be choosing your mission and to have like just like a like a like an intuition, an intuitive little fleck in the back of your head, like 
I might want Edie for this. I don't know why. I just feel like maybe there's going to be computers involved and I want Edie for this. Um, you never get rewarded for that impulse. She, she's just a combatant now wearing a fucking robot leotard. And the other thing is there's just a lack of imagination. And I understand it's a product of its time. And Fox News is already mad about Mass Effect. But like, there's only so much leeway I'm willing to give. Uh, why did Edie have to be a girl? You know? Why couldn't Joker be a monster fucker? Why couldn't Needy be in just like a robot body? Just a gender neutral, freaky little robot body. I don't understand. You know, there's just a lack of imagination of the kind of interaction you could have with an AI presence that doesn't require it to be fuckable. And so I feel like so much of video game, the way video game narratives are shaped are driven by one combat and two fuckability on a corporate level, right? Because that's what corporations think that players want. In a lot of cases, it is. But it's also a vocal minority of those players. And there's a much wider market than that. Not every video game needs to be horribly violent for just like, as like a, a, a core element of the narrative that doesn't actually need to be there. Or fuckable. It's okay for a video game to be peaceful and unfuckable, I think. So, um, but th that was one of the, the things, um, because Thomas is alone, not a fuckable game. Unless no. you want to fuck a square. In which case, you know what? More power to you. Pro monster fucking. <laughs> Squares can be part of that. Okay. <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's one of those games that has a level of imagination that I don't think a lot of AAA experiences have. And I think a lot of the problem... Not a problem, but uh, 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 an advantage that indie games have, narratively speaking, is that uh, uh, necessity breeds innovation. And when you don't have a lot of resources, you have to kind of innovate on what you have. Um, and when you have kind of unlimited resources because you're not paying your people, you kind of default to safe spaces. So that was my Edie rant. And I think I wrapped that up nicely. It all came full circle. Tie it in a bow, stop making your robots fuckable. Or do, but make them like, you know, like the fish man from Shape of Water. Make them monster fuckable. That's fine. Just make your hot, sexy uh, AIs just a really cool cylinder. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give me uh, weird, uh, like, you know those, like, iPads on stands that, like, Edward Snowden uses? Let's go in that direction. Expound on that. See what happens. Oh, God. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> uh, Layla, do you want to tell the audience what's going to be happening next week? We're having a best of special because I'm going to be driving 1,600 miles. Yes, Layla is going to be finally completing her move uh, back to uh, New York. Uh, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. to celebrate that, uh, Layla is actually putting together a special episode, which falls on our 50th episode anniversary, which I think is appropriate and fun. Uh, so look out for that. It's going to be a really neat time. And, you know, I think you're going to see the best bits of what our podcast has to offer. And, uh, hopefully that'll be something you could share with your friends and be like, Hey, I know that this indie podcast, maybe you could check it out. And we would really appreciate that. It unfortunately, uh, does not include, uh, my sexy cylinder rant. So if you want to re-listen to that portion, you have to write down the time code from this episode and mm -hmm. then just like tactfully include it into the best of special and then you have to click back into the best of special to get the outro yeah but we trust that you're all very capable and willing to do that so mm -hmm, absolutely <sighs> gosh Layla. well when you're not talking about the best way to make various geometric shapes fuckable where can people find you on the internet well, that's the thing is that's mostly what I'm doing and you can find uh, all those very detailed <laughs> instructions over at at, <laughs> at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S -E on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Um, and then I write essays. That's LaylaMamadova.com slash blog. I'll start drawing again at some point or another. And Aaron, where can people find you? You can find me on the internet at AaronSXL. You can listen to the other podcast I do at The Bible Boys. Uh, last week, me and Michael talked about Jennifer's body, which was very interesting. Uh, and this week, we're talking about Dante's Inferno. Uh, so if you really, really want to dive into the conversation about video games being about murder and fuckability, you'll want to tune into that one, because that is all that game is. Um... 
you, uh, if you want something better than that, um, you can listen to more music by Keshko. Our theme song, in fact, is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmaker's Reference Kit Volume 2. Find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla, do we have an outro bit? We actually don't. Uh, go fuck a cylinder. As we say every week, <laughs> we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye.